Well, good morning. Thank you, Christy. Benny, appreciate that. Wonderful job. Love that song. Take your Bibles. Turn with me this morning to John chapter 21. John chapter number 21. I want to bring you a message that I've entitled, Real Hope for Failures. What happens in our world if you fail in a spectacular way? Or you fail once too often. You're out. You're replaced. In fact, when we fail in our Christian walk, our enemy is always around to argue that Having sinned, having failed, we have clearly forfeited our chance for a successful and happy Christian life, and we might as well just give up. Perhaps Satan has almost convinced you of that today. You think of yourself as a spectacular failure. Well, today's story from the life of Peter tells that in the Christian life there is room for failures. This passage speaks to anyone who has failed and wants to make it right. It all started for Peter in John chapter 13 when Jesus began telling his disciples that he was going away and that they would not be able to follow him. Peter correctly discerning that he was talking about his death said, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus rebuked Peter and warned him, saying, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow until you have denied me three times. You can almost hear Peter reasoning to himself. He's wrong about me. Why does he have such a poor opinion of me? And why did he say it in such a public fashion in front of the other disciples? He was obviously still thinking about it as he and the other disciples followed Jesus out of the upper room, moving toward the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is talking to his disciples about what to expect in the future. When Peter breaks in with a statement that's found in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 33, he says, even if all, all of these disciples are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Folks, if you ever get impressed with yourself and the level of your spiritual maturity, you will fall. I can guarantee it based upon God's word. The writer of Proverbs writes in Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. The Lord will let you fall so that you can see that your strength is in him, not in yourself. And without him, you literally can do nothing. When Peter knew that Jesus had risen from the dead, he couldn't get his own failure out of his mind. Just as the Lord had predicted, in a moment of personal crisis, he denied the Lord. 
Not once, but three times. And he did it only hours after bragging openly that he would be faithful to Jesus even if everyone else fell away. One moment he is confident and arrogant. A few hours later, under pressure, the bold apostle turned to butter. The question, are you one of the men who were with Jesus? His answer, Jesus, I don't even know him. The question, didn't I see you with his disciples? His answer, I don't know the man. The question, aren't you a follower of Jesus? Jesus of Nazareth? And he begins to swear as only a fisherman can. And he said, I tell you, I don't know the man. In the distance, a rooster crowed. And at that moment, Jesus was brought out of his trial before the high priest Caiaphas. Luke chapter 22 and verse 61 says that the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. That's when the full impact of his sin hit him. Realizing what he had done, Scripture tells us that Peter went outside and wept bitterly. Two days later, Jesus rose from the dead. When the women arrived at the tomb, an angel announced the good news and instructed them, go and tell the disciples and Peter. What does that mean, his disciples and Peter? Peter felt that his denial had separated him from the other disciples. He had to wonder to himself if he even had a place among the other disciples. In Matthew 28, 7, the resurrected Lord had promised that he would meet up with his disciples in Galilee. They went to Galilee and they waited and waited and waited. In John 21, we read that seven of the disciples have gathered at Peter's home in Capernaum waiting for Jesus. When some days have passed and still Jesus has not shown up, the disciples, Peter, who I suspect has never been good at waiting, became impatient. Peter, disappointed in the delay, announced that he was going fishing. Verse number three says, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we are going with you also. Now, Peter was either very persuasive or the other disciples were just as antsy as he was for seven of the 11 went with him as he went to fishing and three of them were not fishermen. They said, hey, we'll go with you. The text, the text says in the second part of verse 3, they went forth and entered into a ship immediately and that night they caught nothing. Let me try to put this as eloquently as I can. There ain't nothing more depressing than catching nothing. What Peter discovered was very important. He discovered you can't go back. In fact, the Lord showed Peter that without him, 
he could not even fish anymore. It wasn't until the Lord showed up to give them specific instructions on fishing that these former fishermen got so much as a bite. The story begins in verse number four. But when the morning had come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And so they cast. And now they were able, not able to draw it because of the multitude of fish. When the morning broke, the disciples saw someone standing on the shore. The figure called them. He said, in effect, you haven't caught anything, have you? They replied that they had not. The man then told them to cast their net on the right side of the boat. Where these fishermen obeyed, they caught a school of fish so large that the net could not be pulled into the boat. It is at this point that the realization of who this stranger on the beach was strikes the disciples. In verse 7 we read, Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord. He put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and he plunged into the sea. John was the visionary. Often he was the first to see and understand. Peter was a doer, always a man of action. At this point, John said to Peter, Peter, it is the Lord. And Peter, so eager to see the Lord, he literally leaped into the water and swam to the shore. Before the disciples had a chance to bring their catch to the shore... Jesus had already prepared fish for them to eat, fish that they had not caught, but that Jesus had obtained and prepared for them. The meal that Jesus served his disciples was important because it was a visual reminder of the promise that he could and would provide for all their needs as they carried out their mission. I believe that One of the things that should strike us the most about this story is that we see Jesus not just accepting the fallen, but actively pursuing the fallen. This morning, I want you to see with me three things that Jesus teaches us about overcoming failure. First of all, overcoming failure demands that we acknowledge our failure. Verse 15 says... So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, Son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. 
And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. As we read that in the English, it seems as if Jesus asked Peter the same question three times. Peter replies in the same way three times. And three times Jesus told him to carry out the same function. In truth, it is much deeper than that. After the shared meal on the shore, Jesus asked Peter a series of three questions concerning his love for him. What did Jesus ask Peter three times? He says, do you love me? And every time he asked that question, he used the Greek word agape. He said, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me with a divine, unconditional, sacrificial love? And three times Peter said, yes, Lord, you know I phileo you. I have a deep affection for you. Why did Jesus ask Peter three times, do you love me? Because Peter had denied him three times. Why did he ask those questions so publicly? Because, Jesus, because Peter had denied Jesus publicly. Jesus' first question is found in verse 15. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? More than what? Do you love me more than these? There are several possibilities. Peter, do you love me more than you do fishing? Simon, Peter, do you love me more than you do these disciples? I think even more important and more probable, he is asking the questions, Simon, Peter, do you love me more than these disciples love me? Peter replies by saying, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. In doing so, Peter affirmed his love for the Lord, but with two notable exceptions. First, he no longer made any comparisons between his love and the love of others. He didn't say, I love you more than these other disciples do. Secondly, he did not dare speak of his love even with the same term as the Lord. Obviously, Fresh in Peter's memory was his denial of the Lord after having previously boasted that even if all the other's disciples failed the Lord, even if all of them stumbled, he would not stumble. Peter, after his failure, is not willing to step up and say that he had the same kind degree of love for Jesus that Jesus had for him. What he does say is, Lord, you know I have a deep and abiding affection for you. Or as the Living Bible translates it, Jesus' question is, do you love me? And Peter's response is, Lord, you know that I'm your friend. He's not saying he does not love the Lord. He does love him. But he is not boasting any longer of his love. And above all, he is not saying that he is, his love is greater than anyone else's love. Peter is replying that he does have a real, even if a lesser kind of love than the Lord. And the Lord responds by saying, feed my sheep. Secondly, overcoming failure may be painful. 
Verse 16 says, he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Does it seem cruel to you that the Lord asked Peter three times in front of the other disciples whether he loved him? Was this cruel? It may seem to be. It certainly was painful. But the cruel thing would have been to let the matter go on festering in Peter so that throughout his entire life, he and the others would think that he was somehow inferior and unworthy of serving Christ, although he had undoubtedly repented of his sin with weeping. This kind of thing was necessary because it was a public restoration so that Peter and the others would, from this point on, know that Peter's past was past and that the Lord himself had forgiven him and recommissioned him to further service. Verse 17 says that Peter was grieved. It seems that what grieved Peter is that the Lord was asking the same question for the third time. But in so doing, the Lord is not raising a doubt about the exact quantity of his love, but of the reality of his love. Yet Peter does not say, I certainly do love you, or of course I love you, or anything remotely like that. What Peter said was, Lord, you know me. You know my heart. You know me better than I know myself. And you know how much I love you. I don't know if you have ever considered it or not, but there is joy in the fact that the Lord is all-knowing because it means that the Lord knows all about us and loves us anyway. The Lord could have, at this point, said to Peter, well, all right then, Peter, you can go home now and do the best you can to live the rest of your life for me. But of course, I will never be able to use you again in a leadership role. If Jesus had done that, no one could have blamed him. Jesus would have been entirely within his right to have answered in that way. But instead, he says, Peter, feed my sheep. Three times he'd been questioned about his love for the Lord, once for each of his three denials. And now for the third time, the Lord has commissioned him to act as a pastor to the flock. Three times he has declared him fit for the ministry. And third this morning, overcoming failure does not mean that we will not have future difficulties. In verse 18, Jesus tells Peter what the future will hold for him. Most assuredly, I say to you, When you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry where you do not wish. 
This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. First of all, I want you to see that success is found in refusing to engage in the comparison game. Peter's reply to these words of comfort was to turn and look at the apostle John and ask in verse 21, but Lord, what about this man? What about him? The truth is that whenever we compare ourselves with others, we either get the big head or we get hacked off. Have you ever stopped to consider the dynamics in the relationship between Peter and John and Jesus? There is lots of room for jealousy. Peter was the Lord's choice to be the leader of the disciples. But John was the disciple whom we are told over and over in Scripture that he was the disciple that Jesus loved. He had a special relationship with Jesus. So what should be the answer to Peter's question? Jesus rebukes him very sharply in verse 22. If I will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? He said literally, Peter, that's none of your business. Peter was guilty of playing the comparison game. And we're all still tempted to do that today and to turn and ask, but what about them? What about them? Paul warns us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12, but we dare not make ourselves of that number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Have you ever been guilty of comparing yourself to some other believer? I suspect that we all have. Jesus made the whole matter quite clear to Peter. He said, Peter, I've told you about my plans for your life. What I choose to do with John is none of your business. Peter, you have enough to be concerned about in yourself. And so do we. Secondly, success is found in consistency. Jesus' final words to Peter in verse 22 are, you follow me. The verb tense here is present tense, which means you keep on following me. That would have been the real point because in the past, Peter's record of following Jesus had been a little bit erratic. With these words, Jesus reinstitutes Peter as his disciple. Peter was called as in the beginning to once again follow Jesus and to continue following until the end. The final irony of this story is that from the beginning, Jesus believed in Peter more than Peter believed in himself. John ends his gospel account in verse number 25 by saying, And there are also many other things that Jesus did. 
which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. John had written down every word that the Holy Spirit had directed him to write. And yet the story remains incomplete. Why is it incomplete? Because yours has not yet been written. As we finish this series this morning that we began over a year and a half ago, the question is, so what? What will you do with what you have learned? The greatest requirement and risk in the world is to be exposed to biblical truth because we can no longer say, but I didn't know. God has plans for John and Peter, not because they were apostles, but because they were followers of Christ. Perhaps you're like Peter, and you say to yourself, that's it. I give up. I have failed, and now now God will never use me. Remember Jesus' words to Peter. You keep on following me. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful that you have room in your plan for failures. Because if that were not true, none of us could ever be used. We all fail from time to time. And our enemy would strive to convince us that we are failures because of that. We may have failed, but we're not failures because you redeem those who will turn to you, admit their failures, and ask to be forgiven. Father, I don't know the hearts of all those who are gathered here this morning, but I know that you know our hearts. And so, Father, if there's one here today that doesn't know you in a personal, intimate way, never claim for themselves forgiveness of sin. I pray that you'd help them to understand this morning that Jesus paid for every one of our sins on the cross of Calvary and that all we must do is accept that payment that he has made. If there's one here that needs that, then Lord, I pray that you'd help them to make that decision today. There may be those here this morning who know that they have been saved. They know there's been a time that they have turned to you and asked for forgiveness, but there have been failures along the way and they are discouraged. Lord, I pray that you would wrap your arms around them this morning. Help them to know that you love them, that you care about them, and that you will use them. Father, help us this morning as we turn this time over to you. We're asking in Jesus' name. Amen.